Joshua 6. I believe it's actually um, Joshua 7. Sorry about that, Joshua 7. All right, the battle at Ai. Now, this is a very, very famous chapter. And most everybody, when they focus on the battle of Ai, they jump right ahead and they focus on right around uh, verse 21. It says, when I, well, actually go to verse 20. And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I have done. When I saw among the spoils a beautiful Babylonian garment, 200 shekels of silver, and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. And there they are hidden in the earth in the midst of my tent with the silver under earth. Now, we're not going to spend a lot of time on what we always talk about because actually Pastor Rich just did a teaching on the defeated AI not too long ago here on a Wednesday night. And we go to this passage a lot because really what happened is, jump back if you go to chapter 6, God makes it very clear when they defeat Jericho from verses 17 through 19, he goes, don't take things. Don't take it. Just let it go. It's, it's a cursed stuff. You're, you're really stealing from the spoils of war from the Lord. He goes, don't take it, leave it alone. Really simple command there. God says, I get the total credit, glory, and victory for this. I knocked down the walls. The only thing you guys did was march and yell. So I get the credit for this. But the problem was there was this one guy by the name of Achan that took stuff. Well, so long story short, chapter 7, they go to attack Ai, and Ai is this very little nothing town. And the spies come back and said, Joshua, we can take this one, no problem. Just give us 3,000 men, we can defeat this town. They go up to fight them with 3,000 men, and they get thoroughly whooped. So Joshua comes back, and he seeks the Lord. And what happened when God says, you have this guy in camp that's sin, and this is Achan. And you have this amazing verse in verse 21. Note the progression. I saw, I coveted, I took, I hid. Isn't that what sin does? You see something you want. You covet it, you take it, and then you hide it. It's a progression of sin. And almost anything you see in life, that's what happens. I see something I want. I covet it, and so I take it. And you may say, well, I'm actually not taking anything. I'm not stealing. Yeah, but you are taking it in the sense of wanting it, desiring it, lusting for it, thinking on those thoughts, dwelling on that bitterness. Whatever it is, you're taking that sin into your life. And then what happens is you hide that sin so no one ever knows. See, it's amazing how well we can hide sin. You guys can hide sin from me, and I can hide sin from you really, really easy. And there's people that came in here tonight, they have sin hidden, and I probably have sin hidden in my life just as well. And the whole point of the Lord is the Lord is trying to bring this sin out of us. Psalm 139 says, Search me, try me, see if there's any iniquity in me, and lead me in the path of everlasting. You know, we just did Communion Sunday. One of the things that we do in Communion is we always say, let's go to the Lord, let's open our hearts to Him and say, Lord, what areas am I failing in? What areas am I weak in, Lord? Look at it. Am I being aching? Have I taken some sin and hidden it, hoping no one will ever find it, including you? Turn, if you will, real quick to Exodus chapter 2. Because what we normally do at this point, too, is we say, let's talk about Moses and what he did. And really what tonight's lesson is, is the world's longest introduction. Because this isn't even to the lesson yet. Exodus chapter 2, you have the background of Moses. Now, we all know what happened with Moses here. Moses was found in the river. He was raised by his, his birth mother but be raised, if you will, in the kingdom of the Egyptians. And so now e Moses is a prince in the land of Egypt. Well, Moses has this burden on him for Egypt, and he has a burden on what God is doing. Verse 11 of Exodus chapter 2, it says, Now it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown, he went out to his brethren and he looked at their burdens. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So he looked this way and that way, and when he saw no one, he killed the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. See, right there is sin again. What did he do in verse 11? He saw something, 
Look at verse 12. He looked this way and that way, and numerous pastors over the years have said Moses looked to the left, he looked to the right, but he forgot to look up. He took him, killed him, and what did he do in verse 12? Hit him. This is what we do with sin. We see it, we act on it, and then we try to hide the sin. This is what brought Achan down. Achan had hidden sin that he got away with until the Lord revealed it. Moses tried to hide his sin, but it was found out too. Achan paid for this by his death of him and his family. Moses paid for this because he had to go into a 40-year timeout, if you will. God says, I'll use you when you're 80. So we see what sin does. Jump back now to uh, Joshua here, chapter 7. After they find out what Achan did, and they find out about him hiding his sin, look verse 23, actually verse 22. Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent, and there it was, hidden in his tent with the silver under it. And they took them from the midst of the tent, brought them to Joshua and to all the children of Israel, and laid them out before the Lord. Then Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerai, the silver, the garment, the wedge of gold, his sons, his daughters, his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent, and all that he had, and brought them to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, Why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. So all Israel stoned him with stones, and they burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. Sin affects your family. That's the other point we normally bring out about this. Achan screwed up. And what happened? That sin filtered down to his family. The point that we have today is so often we think we can do something and it affects nobody except us. And the truth of the matter is, as a father, as a husband, and as a pastor, when I go out and sin, it hurts my walk with Jesus Christ. But it also hurts my relationship with Dawn. It hurts my relationship with my boys. And it affects everybody that comes out here to Harvest Fellowship. Sin is a just lingering effect over anything. And so often I see people do something wrong and they say something effective. It's no big deal. It's between me and God. Well, as a member of the body of Christ and as a member of or a part of Harvest Fellowship, whatever it is, whatever choice you make, it's going to affect people. It does. Just like some of these pastors that I have never met in my life, when I see them fall in ministry, it hurts. And it leaves a black eye on the body of Christ. When I read in the paper about these things happening. And you stop and you say, that sin affects us. And so here with Achan, is his sin affected not only him, but his kids, his family, and everything. And this is the point about sin. Sin is such a deadly, horrible thing that we think we can do something and get away with it, where the Bible makes it abundantly clear, your sin will find you out. And number two, we think the effects of sin are not that big a deal. Look at David and Bathsheba. David committed adultery with Bathsheba, and that one event almost brought down an entire kingdom. From that point on in David's life, he had family troubles, he had personal troubles, he had marriage. I mean, it just brought down one sin. It's amazing what it does. So when you have the story of Achan here, you see what it does. We see it, we covet it, we take it, and then we try to hide it. Achan paid for it with his life. Achan's family paid for it with his life. Moses paid for it with 40 years of waiting to hear from the Lord again on what God wanted him to do. David paid for it with his family being affected generations past him. What else can we say other than it's never worth it? It's never worth it. And I don't say this as some type of hellfire and brimstone pointing my finger at you, but let's just be honest. If there's something in your life and you know it's wrong and you're in an Achan Moses moment of hiding it, it's best to bring it out in the light right now to the grace and mercy of God and say, Lord, I'm sorry. And you know what God does? It's a beautiful thing. He just loves you. He forgives you. 
Oh, it's a beautiful thing. So often we keep that sin hidden. We hide it in our heart. We do so good at covering up, and we do so good at being fake that no one ever knows. Really, God says, get it out in the open. Your sin will find you out. It will destroy you spiritually. It will destroy you physically. It will destroy you emotionally. It is not worth it. It's best to keep it from under the tent. It's best to keep it out from the sand and put it before the Lord. And it's amazing how that dark sin and the light of Christ is forgiven, forgotten, and you can move on in grace and mercy. So that is what you normally talk about in Joshua chapter 7 with the sin of Achan. And we're going to get to that. That's that point right there. So you really get two for the price of one tonight. So does anybody have any quick questions, comments about that aspect of it before we move on to the rest of it here? Yeah, John. Don't, don't get ahead of me, please. Thank you. I said there's two lessons, okay? So that's the second half. You're too smart. Just like your question last week of sandals growing. or Yeah, you cheat on my notes. Yeah. I actually left these notes in Richard's van today. We went and did a visit, and I actually left them in there. So, uh, Anybody else have anything here? Okay, now, as the segue from John, we usually talk about what happened. I think it's interesting to go back and say, how did they even get in this spot? Because they had this wonderful victory at Jericho, and it's just wonderful. Chapter 7 is a total failure. Chapter 6 is a total success. Haven't you ever had that spiritually? You are just spiritually high with the Lord. Everything's great. You have a Jericho moment of chapter 6, a great, great victory in the Lord. And then all of a sudden you follow it up with the chapter 7 of just you really messed it up. What happened? Well, what you see here is there's three things that Joshua did wrong at Ai that he should have done better. Let's jump right now from the beginning of chapter 7, verse 1. It says, The children of Israel committed trespass. Regarding the accursed things for Achan, the son of Karma, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zariah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed things. So the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. Now, we already established that. We went through that part already. But now the question is, why? How did they get to this point? Verse 2, Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is beside beth Aven, on the side of Bethel, and spoke to them, saying, Go up and spy out the country. So the men went up and spied out Ai. Now, you may think, okay, what's the big deal about that verse? But just like John was saying there, there's no prayer here. This is just all Joshua. This is just all wisdom of man. You know, this. Uh, go check out Ai. Now you may say, okay, you're, you're really making a huge point out of nothing. I, I disagree with you about that. Because what you see here is part of the reason Jericho was such a success is they had a battle plan from the Lord. And they had marching orders from God, and those marching orders led to victory. What you see here at Ai is there's no talk whatsoever of, hey, what does God think? And this runs, happens a lot in our Christian walk. We're just going through life, everything's great, and we never stop and say, Lord, what do you want me to do? Lord, how do you want me to handle AI? What do you want me to do? We make big life choices on moving, changing jobs, who to date, who to marry, what to go to school for, you fill in the blank, how to handle situations at work, and we never once stop and say, Lord, what do you want me to do? I've been really convicted as of late where there's a lot of stuff going on out here at church and just really feel the need more than ever to say, Lord, I have to start my day out with you. The problem for me to start my day out with God means I have to get up really early because i got four kids that are going to get up early too. And it's really tough to do that. But what happens is if I don't start that time out in the morning with the Lord, I really feel like I'm having an AI moment the rest of the day. I'm just going to my own wisdom. And I'm not trying to make some point here of you have to get up at this time and be legalistic. For me, the Lord said, I have to get up and start my day out with him in prayer because if not, I'm just going to do verse 2 all the time. 
uh, go do this, take care of this, this sounds like a good idea, go, and never check it over with the Lord. So the first problem you see here is they're not seeking God. They're not seeking God whatsoever. Well, which takes them to verse 3. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not let all the people go up, but let about two or 3,000 then go up and attack Ai. Do not worry all the people there, for the people of Ai are few. You know what happens when you don't seek the Lord? Verse 3, you get prideful. We got this. We just need two or 3,000 people. That's all. We can take this down. And you know what? We all do it without really thinking about it. You know, for me, as a pastor, it's like, Okay, yeah, I, I've taught over this before. I'll just kind of glance over the message here again. You know, I've taught it. I've done it before. Or you know what counseling says? Yeah, I know what they're coming in to talk about. I've talked about this situation for years. I don't really need to seek the Lord over it. That's an AI moment. It's only two or 3,000. That's all I got it. Now, for you, I don't know what your AI moments are, but those are my AI moments of where I plan it in my wisdom, I do it in my own power, and it's really just not a big deal because I got it covered. I have come to the conclusion, usually the situations which I think are no big deal are big deals. And the situations which I think are going to be mountain-moving, life-changing moments, it's amazing how God just steps in and takes care of it. The Red Sea was not a problem for Israel. The Jordan was not a problem for Israel. But one guy took some items from Jericho, hit him in his tent, and it led to a defeat. See, it's not the big things that are going to pull you down. It's the little things that you don't notice. Or I should say it's the little things that you don't give enough attention to. That's what's going to bring you down. That's what's going to bring your marriage down, your life down, everything. So what happens, verse 4? So about 3,000 men went up there from the, from the people, but they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai struck down about 36 men. Now I want to stop there for a second. I'm not great at math, and I'm not a military man by any means. But if they sent up about 3,000 and only lost 36... That's not a real high casualty ratio. In fact, that is minimal. And I think if you'd go to most any military people, and obviously you don't want to see the loss of any individual, but if you said, hey, you're going to have this major battle, and you're only going to lose 36 men out of 3,000, would you take those losses? Most anybody would say, yeah. As you know, I'm a history guy. On some of the first landing invasions on D-Day, casualty rates were up over 90%. 90%. And it's just amazing when you look at this. 36 men, and what happens to them? Verse 5, For they chased them from before the gate as far as Sherebim, struck them down on the descent. Therefore the hearts of the people melted and became like water. I have to be honest with you, I have a verse 5 moment all the time. Oh, Lord, it's the end of the world. What's happening? Everything's falling apart. What happened? One bad phone call. One rough email. One conversation with somebody that just went a little bit sour than what I want, and I have an AI moment of my heart melts, I become like water, and I just run and flee. And God says, come on, James, you've got to buck up a little bit. I was just telling somebody this last week, we were having a meeting out here at church about some stuff, and they, I don't know, they weren't getting worked up about something, but it was just kind of one of the moments, and I said, hey, you don't forget ministry is not for the thin-skinned. So I was tough. And then that same day, I ran like AI when something happened, you know, because ministry is not for the thin skin, but yet I was thin skinned. See, it's amazing. I'm going to tell you right now, the things that are probably going to bring you down this week are not Jerichos. You can see them coming a mile away. The things that are going to bring you down this week are those little tiny AIs. 
that you don't think about. I can handle this. I got it covered. Next thing you know, you're going to run into just a tiny little bit of trial, a tiny little bit of opposition, verse 5, and you're going to run and flee and your heart's going to melt. You know why? Because Satan knows it's not the big things, it's the little things. He knows that. And that's why we have to be spiritually prayed up and prepared in all ways and all things. So, what do they do? The result, spiritual defeat. What's Joshua's response? Verse 6, And Joshua tore his clothes, fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until evening. He and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. That's a sign of mourning, repentance. Verse 7, And Joshua said, Alas, Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites, to destroy us? Oh, that we had been content and dwelt on the other side of the Jordan. Oh, Lord, what shall I say when Israel turns its back before its enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear it and surround us and cut off our name from the earth. Then what will you do for your great name? Joshua prayed a day late and a dollar short. He should have prayed before he sent the spies out into Ai. I hate to say this, but I have a lot of post-prayers. Okay, Lord, I really screwed this one up. I'm really sorry about that. Could you please go back and fix this one now? should have prayed beforehand. What have we been talking about on Sundays again and again with Proverbs? The purpose of Proverbs is to teach you wisdom so that way before there's a problem, you are prayed up and spiritually ready to handle that situation before it even happens. Well, here at AI, this all could have been avoided if Joshua would have just prayed first and then did what the Lord said. It all could have been avoided. But yet, you see unconfessed sin, you see not seeking God, which leads to pride, which leads to spiritual defeat. And then you know what happens when you're in spiritual defeat? You have verses 7 through 9. This is really, really, not to pick on Joshua, that's really a pathetic prayer, isn't it? Oh, we should have just stayed on the other land. What were we thinking? Oh, Lord, what are we going to do? You almost want to say Joshua, as a military leader, he lost 36 men. Every life is valuable. But you just defeated Jericho through the power of the Lord. But isn't this what happens? Oh, come on, we all get in these moments. I can't handle this anymore. If she says one more thing, I'm just going to be done. Why did I even take that job in the first place? Why did I even marry that person? Why did I even do this? And we have these huge pity party moments of I just can't handle it. I can't do anything about it. Oh, Lord, it's all over. It's no good. And really God is saying, come on. It's an AI moment. It's a little, tiny town. It's a thorn in your foot that just needs to be pulled out, and it's pulled out in prayer and confession. And then it's like, okay, Lord, I can handle this. Once again, it's not the Jerichos that are going to bring you down. It's the AIs that are going to bring you down. What can we learn from this? We can learn that, number one, verse one, unconfessed sin will destroy you. It will destroy you. It will seep you of your joy, it will take away your desire to go deeper in the Lord. It will make you an island, lonely Christian. And so often when we think of unconfessed sin, we think of big things. I killed a man and hit him. I don't think any of you did that. That's not the type of unconfessed sin I'm talking about. Unconfessed sin could be bitterness towards your spouse. It could be bitterness towards another person. It could be anger towards a situation. That's an unconfessed sin, and that will destroy you. Next one you see here in verse 2, not seeking God. Boy, I encourage you. Boy, filter every decision through the Lord. That's why he's there. Wisdom. Next thing you see in verse 3 is pride. We can handle this. We just need 3,000 men. Don't let pride get the best of you. The result of all this, verses 4 and 5, spiritual defeat. 
But you know the beautiful thing is you also got verses 6 and 9. That's the correct response. Get your heart, turn it back to God where it's supposed to be, and let the Lord deal with it. So what you see here in Ai are really two messages. You have the one message of sin hidden, unconfessed, will destroy. It will destroy you. It will destroy your family. It will destroy your ministry. It's never worth it. Your witness will be shot with unconfessed sin because it will be found out. The other point that you see here in Ai is what? What went wrong? They didn't seek the Lord. They didn't pray over this. They let pride get the best of them, and it led to spiritual defeat. This was a learning moment for Joshua, and it comes back in chapter 8, and they defeat Ai. But I hate to say this, in chapter 9, they stumble again. This is the beautiful thing about the Bible. Isn't this a picture of you and I? We have a Jericho moment, ah, great victory, followed by an Ai moment, Lord, I messed up. Followed by chapter 9, okay, God, I got it figured out, followed by the next chapter of, okay, Lord, I messed up again. See, we can learn a lot from these people. What can we learn from chapter 7? Seek the Lord. Don't have unconfessed sin. Trust Him. Don't let pride rule you. And you know what? When those AI moments of life happen, don't let the emotion and the stress and the trials and tribulations pull you down. In the eyes of God, it's so small and simple. And He'll give you the comfort to get through it. He really will. Does anybody have any final questions, comments here about uh, AI before we close up? Yeah, Carly. Okay, when they Mm-hmm. Um, generally, when it says in the Bible there, when it talks about grabbing their children, that word in the original Hebrew usually carries a connotation of like the descendants. We don't know how old Achan was. Achan obviously came out of the second generation, so Achan couldn't have been much over uh, 40. Anyway, so he may not have even had grandkids at this point. We don't know for sure. But when you see that word children, a lot of times in the Hebrew, that can carry a connotation of just descendants. Anybody else have anything here? Yeah, Marcus. Oh, yeah, I know. Uh, that, that, I'm glad you brought that up. Verse 10, so the Lord said to Joshua, get up. <laughs> Why do you lie thus on your face? Boy, I need to hear that a lot of times. I'm sitting there having a pity party. I'm having a moment. Woe is me. I've told you before, ER moments. No one cares. Ecclesiastes moments. It's the end of the world. God's response is, get up. And I I just absolutely love that. In fact, when you see Elijah, when um, he had his dark moment of where Elijah prayed, and I believe it's 1 Kings 17, or uh, I think that's where it is, he, he said, Lord, just take my life. It's not worth it. I mean, come on. You know what? This is like the, the thing. We never want to admit this. We've all had moments of, Lord, this is, it's just not worth living anymore. You know, it's just not, and maybe it's just a subtle one of, boy, heaven would be nice. Maybe it's a more serious one of, Lord, I don't want to live anymore. And God's response to Elijah when he had his dark, dare I say, suicidal moment, his response to Elijah was, get up. Because what happens is you get yourself in that sleep and darkness of depression, and it takes over you. And the best thing for Elijah to do was to get up, refreshed in the Lord, and say, get out there and keep serving. Because if you just stay in that darkness of depression, it will bring you down. It truly, truly will. And you know, and that's the thing. As I tell you right now, if you have a brother or a sister in Christ, or you know somebody that's in that darkness right now, the best thing you could do to encourage them is to say, get involved. Anytime someone comes out here and they're just in that darkness of life, One of the things I ask them is, where do you serve? And they usually say, well, I don't feel like serving. I said, that's part of your problem. Get involved with the ministry. Start serving someplace because you will start seeing what it means to give back to the body of Christ. And that will encourage you and bless you.
really will. So that's a good point. I'm glad you brought that up, Marcus, there. That, uh, that's a great verse there of, of get up. I like that a lot. Anybody else have anything they want to say here? Yeah, John. Mm-hmm. It is. I may, it may, in my translation, it would say that. Shut up. Um, but you know what? Isn't that funny? That's what we do. We figure it all out. Lord, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to go into work tomorrow, and they're going to say this, and they're going to do this, and then they're going to say that. It's like, wow, I didn't know I was a prophet. But it's amazing how we get it all figured out. We know exactly what's going to happen. And then when it doesn't happen that way, this is what I, I hear. I usually say, see, it didn't happen that way. Well, it usually does in the past. Nothing ever turns out for me. Everybody's always against me. And you hear God saying, get up. Don't focus in the darkness of AI and defeat. Get up and realize God is there. Recommit, refocus, and the Lord will get you through it. But the problem is those Eeyore, dark Ecclesiastes moments are powerful. They really are, and it's easy to stay in that pit. And sometimes we've got to say, okay, Lord, through your strength, your power, your might, I will get up and face this battle. Anybody else have anything here? Megan. Each situation is unique. Um, I will use the example of my kids. Sometimes they can say, I'm sorry, and there still is a, is a discipline. I remember Jim Crager telling a wonderful story one time. I believe it was Clint uh, did something wrong, or it may have been Ross. I can't remember. And he came to him and said, Dad, I'm sorry. And, and Jim goes, I know. He goes, but Dad, you're still going to spank me. And Jim goes, I know. <laughs> um, I've had moments with my kids where they have confessed, they've repented. And it's like, I appreciate that. But you know what? The purpose of the discipline is to leave a sting to remind you to never do it again. That's the purpose of the discipline. And sometimes in my spiritual life, I have, dare I say, got off with, Lord, I'm sorry. And there's other times where, Lord, I'm sorry. And he says, yeah, but there's still consequences. I mean, I, I've... I go to do a lot of prison visits, and um, there's a lot of sorry people in jail, and they're still also paying the penalty for what they've done. So yes, sometimes you can confess and repent, and there's not a ramification. I shouldn't say there's not a ramification. There was a ramification. It happened 2,000 years ago on the cross. There's always a ramification for our sin. But some things we do in this world, God says, okay, that's between you and me. Got it covered. It's taken care of. But there's other things when we do something wrong, God says there's still a consequence for it. So it just depends on the situation and each one. With Aiken here, there was a consequence. Paid his price. But to be quite honest with you, I think Joshua sinned as a leader. And he didn't get stoned to death. So each situation is unique. Anybody else have anything to say before we close up? All righty. Let's go ahead and pray then. Lord, as we come to you now, I just pray as we all battle AI moments. Uh, Lord, help them not to bring us down. Help us to truly seek you. Lord, help us to give over all those dark areas of our life to you, Lord. We all have a few skeletons in the closet. Lord, bring those out, Lord, that unconfessed sin. We want to be made pure and right with you. And as your word says, seek us, know us, see if there's any iniquity in us, Lord. Lord, I pray that we would not be brought down by the little things of this world, but, Lord, to keep our eyes focused on you, heavenly-minded, Lord, in all ways and all things. And thank you for the example of these Old Testament uh, men and women, Lord, that we may learn from them. And, Lord, in wisdom, help us to learn and go forward in that. And we lift this up in your name. Amen. All right, guys, have a good week and God bless.